All right, so we are going to be in the book of Acts. So why don't you turn to Acts 4, then we're going to pray. Hope you guys had a great week in the Lord. Um, I always get a little nervous when I teach on persecution. You know. But yeah, the Lord tends to send life lessons sometimes, but, but he's always good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to fellowship together around your word. Your word is life. You have the words of eternal life. Where shall we go? Um, But to you, we ask that you'd fill us with your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised and you have sent your spirit to the church. And uh, who convicts the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. And so as we go out and share the gospel, we don't have to do that work that's the work of your spirit we just share the gospel and let you do the work we ask god that you would continue to open up our mouths for the gospel make us bold uh, give us a view of eternity and um, but just bless our time as we fellowship together we need your word we need manna every day the manna of yesterday does not satisfy for today and so give us manna today we pray this in christ's name amen all right, so make sure you take advantage of me. I have had one, well, two people. One family had me come witness to their son, which was great. And um, somebody else has asked me to do some things. So uh, so feel free, you know, if I'm here at your disposal, <coughs> if you need my uh, services. I was... Uh, I have this weird, I'll start off with this, kind of a, this is a strange analogy, but I was thinking of this last night. Um, yesterday I took my nephew, as you heard, and my son out to do some gallivanting around, hiking and whatnot. We ended up in Ritchie Canyon through the back way, and there was just a bunch of donkeys in this field, and these wild donkeys. We drove up in there, and... Uh, my nephew and son, who were the more reasonable ones, were saying, don't let the dog out of the van. <clears throat> I'm all, I want to see what he does. I want to see how he reacts to these donkeys. So I get him out. He sees these donkeys, and he just goes running. And we're like, Max, he never heard us. And he's ch- chasing these donkeys around this field in a figure eight. I got a, just a little bit of video. I was wishing I could get more, but I was like running. And we're like, Max, Max, he never heard us. Chases him up this embankment. He's on there. He's nipping at their heels. And they're hee-hawing and all this stuff. I thought, this dog's gone. We've never really had him off a leash before. But then we run up the embankment, and then he comes running back to Sam. And and Sam wanted to get all over him. I'm like, Sam, he's just doing what he is bred to do. <clears throat> and the good thing is, is he came back to his master, so you should be praising him. Anyway, the weird analogy is, is I get home and I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, this dog went out and did what he was made to do. He went and ran these donkeys down. He's shepherding them and stuff like that. I'm a pastor, right? What am I made to do? I'm made to go preach the word. So if you like, let me off my leash, I should be running out there like Max after these donkeys, right? Just going out to preach the word. And so you guys can do the same thing for me, right? Call me up. Say, hey, Pastor Mike, we're going somewhere. I need you to talk to a relative. 
and I should be like Max, right? Let me off the leash. Start chasing those donkeys down. It was one of the funnest things I've seen in a long time. See this dog chasing these wild donkeys. <clears throat> We're kind of wondering if he was going to get kicked in the jaw or something, but I don't know. Anybody ever seen anything like that? Yeah? But he came back, right? Yeah. Okay, (laughs) he spanked him. Because he didn't listen to yeah. So we had never had him off the leash. I wasn't sure what. He actually, I was very surprised. He stayed with us on the trail. He got in the van. When we got in the van, he got out of the van. We got out of the van. So I was like, good job. I'm going to take him out now. On our, I've been afraid to take him out on trails with me because he's still a puppy. And I could totally see him just running me off the mountain. And you guys would be looking for me in some ditch somewhere. Um, anyway. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and, and, and get into this passage. It's a really amazing passage. A little review, though. So uh, do take advantage of me. Take advantage of the... The link, Story for Us, uh, Cornerstone Bible. Keep sending those out and using those. Uh, any thoughts on last week's lesson about the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that uh, the Holy Spirit would come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? And how does that help us? Any thoughts on that? Say it again. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. So we are part of this world, right? And so the Holy Spirit has come to 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 help the whole world in that respect. Anything else? Yeah, Dave. Yeah. Yes. So the Holy Spirit's already doing this work of convicting. We don't have to feel like it's our job to do the convicting. We get the word out there. Let him do his job. We're going to see a little bit of that this morning in the text. Um, it's just what the what the Lord's doing. To me, that's kind of a... It is a comfort. It is a help to realize that I don't have to feel the pressure to go out and just convince everybody and make the perfect argument. Um, Let the gospel out. Speak it. The Lord's in the business of saving people. And uh, and he prepares the hearts. He prepares the ground. And uh, so we just go out. And it's just amazing how the Lord, he just, he wants to answer our prayers. So let's talk about so our lesson is the apostles are persecuted. We're going to talk about persecution. We're going to start in Acts 4. And I'm kind of titling this section of the lesson, how, uh, Holy Spirit-filled preaching, persecution, preaching, prayer, and more preaching. That seems to be what happens in this chapter. It's like no matter what happens, these guys just keep opening up their mouths, which just begs this big question that we're going to answer. And that is, why is Peter opening up his mouth? Because isn't he the guy that, 
He was running away and was ashamed to even proclaim Christ before the servant girl just a little bit ago. So let's start in in kind of really we'll look at verse 1. I'll give you a little bit of a preview, prequel. Uh, The first point that we get from this text is Peter and John preach. So if you guys remember in the previous chapter, Peter and John go to the temple during the hour of prayer. They see a lame man. He's been lame since birth. He's about 40 years old, we find out later. He looks up thinking he's going to receive alms from Peter and John. They say, silver and gold have I none, but what we have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They reach out, grab him by the right hand, pull him up. His ankles, everything is healed. Um, He's freaking out. He's leaping and jumping and praising God, just like the hymn says, right? And then all these people come running to Solomon's porch to see what the hubbub's about. They all recognize this guy as the guy that's been lame forever, and he's healed. They all start looking at Peter like it's something special about him. Peter says, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, don't look at us like it's something to do with our godliness or our power. This man has been made whole by the resurrected Christ. And so they go into this sermon And um, calls upon them to repent. And if you guys remember, the way Peter's preaching these early messages, these are not seeker-sensitive messages. He's basically telling them, you crucified him. You did the dastardly deed. But if you look back at 3.18 of the previous chapter, this was foreordained. He says, um, well, look, look at verse 17. Yet... Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But these things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And so the response should be repent. Verse 19. So just like Joseph says to his brothers who sold him in captivity. Yeah, what you meant for evil, you did it. But God meant it for good. You guys crucified the Christ. That was an evil thing. But guess what? God actually foretold that this would be this would happen. So therefore, repent and look at chapter three, verse 26 to you first. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus sent him to what bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So God's design here is really to bless you, not to curse you. Even though you crucified him, the ultimate design here is for your blessing. And so look at verse one, the first part of it. Now, as they spoke to the people, so we know that even though it just records Peter's words, that they tells us it wasn't just Peter, it was Peter and John were kind of doing a tango. They were both preaching. We don't know if it was one at a time or if they were off with separate groups, but they're both involved in this preaching ministry. And while that's happening, um, number two, Peter and John are arrested so let's read verses one to four um, the priests the captain of the temple the sadducees came upon them by the way sadducees do not believe in the resurrection being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in jesus the resurrection from the dead and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening however many of of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. 
that's a crazy number. We read that in the Bible and we just kind of, oh yeah, 5,000 people came to know the Lord. I mean, just think about this. It wasn't too awful long ago that <clears throat> Jesus was crucified. Everybody's saying crucify him. He's raised from the dead. Then you've got a group of about 120. Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches. 3,000 come to know the Lord. Peter preaches again. 5,000 come to know the Lord. In a very short period of time, you've got 8,000 believers. This is the helping work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I don't I can look that up. I'm not really sure. Um, would have been a lot of people gathered together, several thousand. But that's a good question. I could look that up later. I'm not sure what the pop average population would have been in Jerusalem in this point in history. I know that these days, you know, a big like Moreno Valley would be a huge city compared to ancient times. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, it could be. So the question is, is where would the preaching have occurred? How do you speak to 5,000 people? It's a really good question. Um, we do know that they're at Solomon's porch in the previous chapter when everybody rushes up to hear Peter. So Peter preaches. As far as him being able to speak to 5,000, you'd be actually surprised how many people can fit into a small, small space. If you've been to some of you know the large churches in our area, you walk into the auditorium and you're like, oh, how many? And when somebody tells you how many people can be seated there, sometimes you're surprised how many people can get into some of these auditoriums. Uh, I do know Benjamin Franklin, during the time of George Whitfield, he paced off and did calculations on how many people could hear George Whitfield at one time. Now, George Whitfield was an unusual character. Um, but he figured that George, that 50,000 people were able to hear George Whitfield clearly preach at one time in the in the Americas and leave it to uh, Benjamin Franklin to figure that out. And um, but, you know, George Whitfield, he could bellow like he could. They were there were times in the middle of the ocean that two ships would come together and he would bellow across to the other ship. Once they would find out that, oh, George Whitfield's on that ship, they would bring him together, he would preach, and then they'd move on. Um, so anyways, sideline note, that's actually where the, the, the whole uh, cultural phenomena of yelling preachers comes from pre-amplification days when you had guys like George Whitfield that really did need to bellow it. And so <clears throat> that kind of just transferred most light, largely in the South and then other places. Even after amplification, people kept yelling when they didn't necessarily need to anymore. But they had to at a certain point, you know, in those days. I don't know, Peter, who knows what exactly how he was projecting to reach that many people. Yeah, Steve. It's 
true. That's true. Yeah, there was all kinds of ways that amplification would take place. Even just look at some of our old cathedrals and things like that. Um, some of the best concert halls around, I don't want to get into an acoustics lesson, but have no amplification. Some of the best places to hear an orchestra, there's no mics whatsoever. It's just the building is built so well, you can hear everything. So these guys, um, so they're put in prison. We have, let's look at verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. So uh, we, we know that it had to have been six or after us and then 5,000 believe. And so they're just sitting in prison over the overnight while 5,000 have come to know the Lord. And, but then Peter preaches filled with the spirit on the next day. So what happens as a result of their imprisonment? Peter preaches verse five. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, which is an interesting thing here because Annas was the high priest, but he wouldn't have been the high priest at this point in history. So it seems like there's almost like, you know how you would still refer to President Obama as President Obama, even though he's not the sitting president. This seems to be part of the concept here. Annas was the previous high priest. Actually, Caiaphas was probably the high priest that was uh, ruling at this time. Then you have John and Alexander and also, uh, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is what we call the Sanhedrin, the 70. So the 70 rulers are all gathered together to hear this case. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? And ancient um, Sources tell us that that the Sanhedrin, whenever they would have a council like this, it was somewhat of a semicircle, not a perfect semicircle. But so they would have been standing and then everybody would be kind of around them. And they're asking, by what power have you done this? So is this what they want to know is, have you have you done this through sorcery? Have you done this through Yahweh? Um, what are the means of healing? It's obvious they're not debating the fact that this guy was healed because everybody knew. This was a lame man that people would give alms to. So they're asking them to give account for the power of this healing. Verse eight, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, it gives them titles of respect. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well. Let it be known to you all to and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter, Peter just comes out and just lays it out there, gives them their due respect. <clears throat> um, but then says, you want to know how he did a very good deed for this helpless man? Well, I want you all to know. I want the whole all of Israel to know that it's by the name of Jesus Christ. So there's a couple things. It's in his authority. Everybody knows Jesus. 
He doesn't just call him Jesus. He calls him Jesus Christ. Everybody, all the Jewish people know what that means. I'm saying he is the promised Messiah. Not only that, he's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That name that you guys gave to him that you used to use as a name in a pejorative sense. You know, to call Jesus Christ of Nazareth is like saying Jesus Christ of Bakersfield or... In our area, I love Marina Valley, but a lot of times people, when they say Marina Valley, they're like, oh, on the south side or the north? We're on the south side. Oh, right. You're on the south side of Marina Valley. Well, that's that's Nazareth, right? This is not it wasn't like, wow, he's from Nazareth, but he he's embraced. And the apostles, you'll notice as you read through the book of Acts, they embrace that previously pejorative term. That he's one of us. He's the Christ, but he's also a man. And he's a man who came from, you know, kind of the out back with us, right? And uh, whom you crucified. So he says, you crucified him. God raised him from the dead. All the Sadducees are here. They got partially arrested because of this whole talk about resurrection from the dead. He doesn't avoid that. By him, this man stands before you as whole. Then he quotes uh, the Old Testament, Psalm 118, the stone which uh, was rejected by you, the builders, uh, has become the chief cornerstone. And then he comes to his high point. There is neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven but a given among men by which we must be saved. So it's not just that this guy's been healed, but you must, we must all be saved through Jesus Christ. And there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It is a sovereign imperative that we must be saved through Jesus Christ. So that's his sermon here, Sermon of the Lame Man. By the way, uh, just the way uh, Peter comes out and makes no bones about it, that there's only one way of salvation and it's through Jesus Christ. This has been this is the message that has resounded throughout the church. However, you have different pockets where people try to kind of uh, kind of do Mickey Mouse things with that and try to do, you know, make it sound less exclusive. Um, when we had the 9-11 attacks um, back in was that 2001 and I was really sad, sadly disappointed when Billy Graham got up to do the um part of the funeral message they had an islamic speaker that got up and made no bones about the fact that allah is the man and he is the way and even though obviously we disagree with allah i respected the fact that he did not compromise islam one iota uh, in his presentation but when billy graham got up there he said now for the christian he said it twice for the christian Jesus is the only way. And then he went off and preached the gospel. And I about fell out of my chair. And um, and just was like, why in this kind of forum, especially right after the imam has been so uncompromising in his presentation of the gospel, are you going to qualify your gospel presentation like that? Now, all of us can make those kind of compromises. I'm not you know, throwing Billy Graham under the the bus because none of us can do that. But Peter does not do that. If if there was any reason, I mean, P- 
Peter could have said, you know what? These guys, there's some people here that don't like the resurrection. I'm not going to talk about that. Not everybody here believes that Jesus is the Christ, so I'm just going to call him Jesus. And, you know, Nazareth, that's kind of a pejorative term. I don't think I'm going to talk about that. And um, I know that they crucified him, but there were a lot of people implicated. Let's leave that part out. And, you know, Jesus technically is the only way of salvation. But, you know, can't we all just get along? No, Peter just lays it out on the line. And notice, looking back at verse 8, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is he able to do this? Why is he laying it down on the line? It's because partially he's, he's filled with the Spirit. So let's kind of ask this question. What accounts for the change in Peter, this guy that was afraid to proclaim Christ in front of a slave girl um, when he's kind of walking from afar? Um, well, we know he's filled with the Spirit. And then he's preaching about the resurrection. So by the way, Peter saw the resurrected Christ. And as we see in verse 13, look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Jesus, Peter is somebody who walked with Jesus and and he had gone through some tough times, um, but he saw the resurrected Christ. He's now filled with the spirit. All this walking and this personal time with Christ has now come into roost in his heart. And he's basically like, I really don't care anymore. I'm just going to speak for my Lord. Um, and so he's just filled with the spirit, preaching the gospel. And um, and so I think there's some things that we can learn here. You know, one is, is the Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles. The Holy Spirit's here today. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit will fill you as we just say, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we may have a boldness to proclaim the gospel. And and we experience the risen Christ, right? Christ didn't just rise back then. He's alive today. And we don't see him the way that Peter and John and those guys did. We have more eyes of faith. But we look back and we read the accounts of these guys that saw him and handled him and touched him. And we believe. And, um, and then we can spend time with Jesus through the Spirit. In fact, Jesus says, it's actually better that I go away to send the Comforter. So from Jesus' perspective... If we could have Jesus right here with us, like Jesus was with the apostles, or we could have the Holy Spirit with us, Jesus would say, it's better that I send the Holy Spirit. So we're from Christ's perspective, we're in a better, more favorable position than Peter and John and the apostles. That's just weird, but it's true. The Holy Spirit can spend more time with us. He's always walking with us. As we're giving our hearts and minds to the word of God, that gives fodder for the Holy Spirit. That's the one kicker is you do have to spend time with Jesus, right? We don't spend time with Jesus. You're not giving fodder for the Holy Spirit to call things to memory. And so spend time with Jesus, put our minds in his word a lot, not just because you're a super disciplined person, but because you need it. You're, you're poor, you're desperate, just like I'm desperate. You know, when I was younger, I'd get up in the morning because I want to be a disciplined young Christian. Now I get up in the morning because I am a needy sinner. If I don't get my manna today, I'm in trouble. Right? Manna, you get it once a day. And yesterday's manna does not help me today. Right? I can have all kinds of time in the word yesterday, but guess what? Today I've got fresh battles and fresh needs. I need God's word today for my soul and my heart. 
Not just because I'm Mr. Discipline. I'm not. Because I'm Mr. Poor and Needy. That's why I need God's Word today. And what guess what happens is I put God's Word in my heart today. And then I'm walking around through my day. And then the Holy Spirit starts using it. Starts reminding me of things. <clears throat> I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to be constantly reminding us and pointing us to Christ and convicting us and and helping us. Right. <clears throat> and so but we put that fodder in our hearts and then the Holy Spirit starts calling it to mind. All right. So and that so that can really have an effect on us. The way it had an effect on Peter. Let's talk about what happens. So after he preaches, then threats towards Peter and John come, which results in more preaching. <clears throat> uh, let's look at 15 and following. But when they had commanded them um, to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. They said, okay, you guys leave the uh, half circle here. We're going to talk saying, um, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. They're not denying the evidence of a miracle. Nope, they can't deny it. <clears throat> but so that it spreads no further, stop right there. There's this obvious miracle. We can't deny it. The evidence is right in front of our face. But let's make sure this doesn't spread any further. That's darkness. That's blindness. And that should be instructive for us that miracles will not save people, right? You can have the best argumentation, you can show a miracle. Theoretically, you could heal somebody, right? Um, you could. There's all kinds of things that we could do. People saw. There are people that saw Lazarus rise from the dead, and right afterwards, their response was, "Let's kill Jesus." These guys see a lame man healed. They everybody knows he's a lame man, and they're like, "What threats can we bring down on these guys' head to make sure this word does not spread any further among the people?" Middle of verse 17, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now for them to threaten them, the, the apostles already saw what they did to Jesus, that he was arrested, trumped up charges, and he's killed. So there's probably threats of that nature. But remember, this is in a Jewish religious context. And so they're probably not just threatening them <clears throat> with bodily harm. They're also probably threatening them with curses of God, I would propose. we don't. That's kind of implied. But in a Jewish Sanhedrin setting, they're probably saying, if you continue to bring this false Messiah upon us and the people, may God's curses come down upon you, is probably what they're pronouncing but look at verse 19 what do peter and john do they go into more preaching peter and john answered and said to them whether it is right in the sight of god to listen to you more than god you judge for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard so when they had further threatened them they let them go finding no way of punishing them because the people uh, since they all glorified god for what had been done for the man was over 40 years old on this uh, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they they don't punish them. <clears throat> Peter and John are like, we're just going to keep talking about what we've both seen and heard. 
What's interesting is the Sanhedrin, they had seen it and they had heard it too. They saw the lame man healed. They heard the gospel. Their response is, let's threaten and repress. Peter and John, they heard the gospel. They saw the lame man healed. They saw Christ raised from the dead. Their response is, we're just going to talk about what we've seen and heard. And brothers and sisters, one of the things I want to propose to you is, is that we need to seek the Lord in such a way to where we are getting fresh sights and fresh hearings, so to speak, from the Lord. I'm not saying that in the sense that you're hearing some audible voice, you're trying to look for something outside of the written word, but that on that we are on an ongoing basis filling our hearts with God's word in such a way to where we're not just kind of just filling our hearts with his word so we can check it off of our Bible list and say, ah, I got that done today. Now I can feel good and religious because I did my Bible reading. But that we're reading God's word to have a fresh experience with our Savior on a daily basis. That you and I have spiritual needs. The, the God's word is called bread for a reason. It's because it needs to feed our hunger. And Jesus promises that it will satisfy our hunger. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about this water stuff, that there's broken cisterns that we try to stuff into our hearts that will never satisfy. But then there's the cistern of living water that will satisfy. And where do we get that? We drink freshly from God's word on a daily basis. And so I think it really is something that we want to search, ask God to enable us to study his word in such a way to where we're getting our hearts satisfied on a regular basis. And by the way, I believe God wants to do that. If that's a, when you ask the Lord, Lord, when I read your word this morning, would you please satisfy my soul? That's not always necessarily going to mean that you have some great emotional experience every morning. But I think what it does mean, you know, when I, when I sit down and have my oatmeal in the morning or I have whatever I'm eating, my bacon, eggs, whatever, it's not like every morning I eat it and I'm like, Oh, man, I can just feel the nutrients just going down into my body. Oh, wow. Right? No, a lot of times I just eat my breakfast and then I just go out and do my day. But you know what? That breakfast is working in my body. God's made it that way. And sometimes I have my time in the Word in the morning and I don't feel anything emotionally, but the Lord is doing His work in my heart and mind. I don't even know. I don't think half of us know consciously how many times we've avoided various temptations throughout a day just because God's word was in our heart and soul. And we just never even thought about those things because God's doing his thing in our hearts. And so maybe something that used to be a would have been a temptation for us. Now we just it's just bouncing off of us that particular day because God's word is 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 going around in our blood. Does that make sense? And then there are going to, no, Steve, yeah, go. Yeah. So thy word, if I hid in my heart, right, then I might not sin against thee. And on about you, I, I, I see that. Um, I see the spirit do that in my life. There's times I can think back in my life where for whatever reason I've, read the word but i haven't really been what's the word like uh feasting on christ through his word it's just kind of like ah, oh, my little check off 
And then I'll go through these times of just kind of like, man, I'm just getting hammered with temptation and this and that. What's going on? And then there's other times where it's like I'm feasting on the Lord. I'm really making that the one thing, right? My high priority. One thing have I desired that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty, right? And and then it just, you know, I, I can sense the Lord helping me with various temptations, like, oh, okay, I see that temptation over there. Oh, I'm strengthened to avoid that. Yeah, Brian. On Christ- oh, listening to Christian radio? Which station? What are you talking about? K-Wave. K-Wave? That's okay. That's not too bad. No, yeah. I, I say anything and everything, right? I am an indiscriminate consumer of God's word, right? You can get it when you read, when you're listening to it, you're driving in the car. There's certain podcasts I like listening to. Um, I was telling a few of you guys, I forget who I was telling you, but lately, um, I don't know if this will be an encouragement to you, but like, I kind of, I'll have my little like breakfast, breakfast snack when I'm getting ready in the morning, I'll put on my Bible app in the shower which I've had to start putting in a baggie lately because I think it's been affecting my phone. So the the steam. So I put it in a baggie, I stick it up, and then it's running in the shower. And I'm not always able to comprehend everything because I'm like still waking up, but it's starting to get into my brain. It takes me about a half hour to get ready. By the time I'm done getting ready, I've listened to my whole Bible section for that morning. Then on the way to work, <clears throat> sometimes I'll go back through the whole thing again, or maybe there's something that's stuck out. So I'm listening to it on the way to work again. I'm getting some of it, but I'm more of a visual learner. So sometimes I'm like, you know, like not totally paying attention or I'm like, Oh, the mountains, you know? And, and, uh, but then here's where I have a benefit. A lot of you guys go home and you, or you go to work and do your job. I come here and I get to do my job, which is read the Bible. Right? So then I get to work and I open up my Bible and I go through the exact same passage, sometimes listen to it. Now it's like I'm getting like a third turn, a third helping. And then uh, on the way home, whatever passage I really feel like the Lord has been working at my heart, then I go to my other Bible app that's really slow and, and it's like artistic and everybody, all these professional actors and stuff. And I listen to that one. So that's my other. So by the time I've gotten home, it, it's like my my helping of God's word for that day. I've gotten several different passes at it and several different opportunities for the Holy spirit to really start hitting me. And here's where, here's something that you need to be convicted about. And here's something you'll need to do. For, I want you to do this for your wife. And here's something you need to do for your kids. And here, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't know. For me, that's been a real blessing to have all those passes at God's word. Cause, uh, I don't want you to think I'm doing that because I'm Mr. Holy and Pastor Mike. That's because of how wicked my heart is. And I need the Bible that much. Otherwise, my mind is off on ten buck too. All right. I'm depraved. And I have things in my background that are not good in my places my mind goes. And so the more I'm putting God's word in my head, the less I'm thinking about nonsense, if that makes any sense to you guys at all. Um Anyway, that's kind of a for free. I'm not going to charge you for that. Um, 
But try that out. I, I, I love kind of like that getting as much in, your, in, in the word. So the bottom line is, is like, so when I'm driving to work and home anymore, I'm, I'm really not listening to much news anymore. That's just me. I just, I'll, I'll catch the news here and there, but it's just like, I don't have time for it. I just, I, I, just, I need to get in God's word. I'm not, I hate to say this, but I'm not listening to sports as much as I used to. I know that may be offensive to some of you, somewhat offensive to me, but I'm just like, I just, I only have so much time and I need God's word in my head and my heart. And so I'm just overdosing as much as I can. So these guys overdose. They spend all this time with Jesus. Um, it results in more preaching. They get let go. So what happens? So Peter and John report the results back to the 5,000 or 8,000 or whoever they're reporting to, which results in a pr- pretty awesome prayer and more preaching. So look at verse 23. And being let go, they went there to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests, the elders had said to them. So we don't know exactly how many people are in this group, but they go back and report. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, and now we've got a recording of a prayer. Almost certainly this is a re- probably somebody gets up and just prays for the group and everybody's agreeing in prayer. We don't really know who got up and vocalized this prayer, but it's, it's one accord. Everybody's like, we agree with this prayer. <clears throat> Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth in the sea and all that is in them. That's a great way to start. These guys just arrested Peter and John. They're trying to threaten us. But guess what? No, no. You're God. And then they quote scripture. Psalm 2, what a great passage to quote. Who by the mouth of your servant David, notice it's God who's speaking through the mouth of David. That's an inspiration of scripture passage. Have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Great quote, passage to quote when we're thinking about what's going on with our culture, this or that. People are repressing Christianity. Hey, the nations can rage all they want. God's going to put Christ on the throne and he will laugh, by the way. He will break the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Now notice the flow of this, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to what should come next? Probably go off and kill Jesus unjustly. No, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. What a great prayer. All these people were gathered together against Christ. And all they did was accomplish exactly what you had ordained to occur. This is that whole concept of divine compatibilism. Are Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and Jews culpable for their decisions? Yes. Did they do exactly what God had ordained to be done? Yes. Does the Bible go on to, does Peter or the prayer go on to explain how that can be? No. It just is. They are accomplishing God's will. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, and the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the result? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So persecution causes prayer. Prayer leads to more preaching. And so you seem to see this cycle that's happening here is preaching, persecution, more preaching, prayer, preaching. And it's all wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing this. So if we walk away with the idea of, oh, wow, just look at what incredibly bold people Peter and John were. Weren't they so bold? Boy, too bad we can't be bold like them. We've gotten the wrong message. No, what we should see is verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it was being filled with the Holy Spirit that God granted them boldness. And and, and I, I want to just encourage us that God loves to answer prayers like give us boldness to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ as a body. Now we know there's different gifts in the body and some of us have more speaking gifts and some of us have more serving gifts. When I take teams down to Mexico, a lot of times my teams, they tell me, Pastor Mike, it's okay. You go over there. We'll take care of the roofing. We don't want you messing things up. They've seen me do enough mistakes when I'm trying to get busy with the physical aspect of whatever we're doing that they just, they release me to go play with the children, right? It's not my gifting, all the stuff that these guys, these skills that these guys have, they're just amazing. Um, But the Lord has given me the ability to share the gospel and to be able to teach God's word and things like that. So we're operating in it within our gifting. But the Lord can open all of our mouths up in different respects. And so we can pray for one another. The Lord will give us boldness and that we would not be surprised when we do get persecuted. Let's let's look back to Luke 21 because we do want to wrap this up within kind of this persecution type of context. Persecution in the life of the apostles led to prayer and preaching. Jesus, by the way, had told them that this was going to occur. So if you look at Luke 21, we'll start in verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. That's exactly what happened. And persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogue and prisons. That's exactly what happened. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. That's exactly what happened. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. I don't know how all the translations handle that, but basically so they can give a witness. It's exactly what uh, the apostles were able to do. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and uh, and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So we shouldn't walk away thinking, wow, Peter's such a smart guy. No, Peter, obviously, he had learned his Torah from his mom. So he knew some Old Testament. He had spent time with Jesus. But there's no indication that Peter was kind of studying his three-point sermon before they got arrested. He got arrested, and then the Holy Spirit gave him utterance, and he was able to, to really confound his persecutors. 
Verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So we should not be surprised as Christians, we are going to be hated for the sake of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But notice verse 18, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. That verse right there should go, what? What are you talking about? You just got through saying that some of us are going to be killed, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Let me think, if I'm dead, does that really matter a whole lot that not a hair of my head will be lost? Well, think about this from Christ's perspective. Jesus is talking about ultimate reality. Yeah, they may kill you, but they're never going to really be able to harm you. <clears throat> Not in the ultimate sense of what reality is all about. Listen to this quote from John Gill. This guy is my favorite guy lately. Um, he says this, The sense is that though they should be betrayed by their friends and hated and persecuted and imprisoned by their enemies, yet they should be no losers in the main. All things should work together for their good. And though even they should be put to death, yet that would be to their advantage since instead of a temporal troublesome life, they should enjoy an eternal and happy one. For this cannot be understood of entire preservation from all corporal damages and hurt, seeing it is before declared that they should be put into prisons and some of them be put to death. So I love what he says there in the middle underline that it would be to their advantage since instead of a temporal troublesome life, they should enjoy an eternal happy one. John Gill in his commentaries, he's really good at pulling out this idea that our life, we should not be trying to establish our happiness on this earth. The Bible is very clear on that from what John Gill argues. And Puritan theology was very big on that. They would teach their children from the time they were young. Your life is not about this earth. This life's going to bring you trouble, toil, contradictions, difficulties. Yes, you'll have some happiness here because God is a good God and he's merciful, but just expect a lot of problems. But guess what? You're going to a goal, which is Jesus, the pearl of great price. And when you die, that's when you'll find your happiness. So be willing to be ready to endure trouble in this life. I don't know about you, but I think, I know in my life, and I think the American church in general, we've kind of forgotten. We think that somehow our happiness is here. Reality, our happiness is there. That's the goal. And so when Jesus says, they're not going to be able to touch a hair in your head, what does he mean? They're not going to be able to harm you in the ultimate sense. Yeah, they may kill you, but if they kill you, guess what? They just send you to Jesus. That's why, when, what does Paul mean when he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Man, this is a tough decision. Do I want to die? Ooh, yay. Yes, because that sends me to Jesus. But uh, if I stay here, it's more profitable for you. For me, from a selfish perspective, it's much better if I go be with Jesus. So here I am arrested in this Philippine jail, right? If they kill me, yay for me. But I'm willing to put my joy aside for a moment so I can stay in this troublesome world for your sake. That's Paul's perspective. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I think, I know in my own heart, I think we need to get more of that in our, in our hearts. Sometimes I hear, I, I do this too, so I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but 
you, you'll hear people going through various trials and difficulties in the body sometimes. And then sometimes what comes out of our mouths is like, like we're surprised that this troublesome world is bringing trouble that what the Bible calls a vain existence, this life under the sun is vanity that somehow it's supposed to not be vanity that somehow if I get sick, why, why is the Lord making me sick? Why am I? Yeah. Wow. It's like, wait a second. That's what we get in this life, this side of glory. It's not till we get there that we get our true happiness. Um, let me see if I, <clears throat> I was going to read you guys one other quote from John Gill, where he, he develops this concept. You guys know Psalm 90 verse 12, where it says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You guys remember that? Here's what John Gill says about that. What is it that, what, what, what's this heart of wisdom that God's trying to get us to learn from numbering our days? He says this, the sense is that God would teach us seriously to meditate on the shortness of our days, that they are but a shadow and there is no abiding, the vanity and sinfulness of our days, that we may not desire to live here always. Think about that. John Gill says that one of the things that God's trying to work in our hearts is that we would not desire to live here always. That we would grow dissatisfied with our existence here and want to live there always. And then he says, and the troubles and the sorrows of them, which may serve to wean us from the world. So John Gill's basically saying God ordains troubles and sorrows for what purpose? So that we would be weaned from the world. In other words, we should not always be children that are trying to gain our sustenance from the world as a baby gains its sustenance nursing from its mother, right? If we're if if you found a 6, 7, 8-year-old still getting its sustenance from its mother, you would be like something's wrong with that, right? You you should be weaned from your mother by a certain age. Biblically speaking, we should be weaned from the world. That's what it means to number our days. We're getting weaned from this world thinking that our happiness is here. No. <clears throat> Troubles and sorrows help wean us from the world and remind us, wait a second, this isn't where I'm supposed to be happy anyway. And to observe how unprofitably that we have spent our days so that we can redeem the time better. And then also he goes on to some other things to enjoy the goodness of the Lord. But the thing that stands out to me about John Gill's <clears throat> teaching on this, sec on this idea <clears throat> is the world is never meant to make us happy. Yeah, Alvin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> no, that's exactly right. I love that now. So Alvin's sharing that, you know, in baseball, when somebody gets called up to the big leagues, people aren't sad for that person that they've got called up to the big leagues. It's like they rejoice. You know, you're going through all these difficulties and trials trying to work up there, and then boom, you get called. Everybody's happy. So when somebody gets called up to heaven, you know, there's a sense which we should just be rejoicing. They made it. They they got there, right? <clears throat> and we know we're... And so that should really kind of alter our perspective. I don't know about you. I've, I've been having this strange thought lately. I, I don't know what the Lord... The Lord may allow me to live till I'm 90. <clears throat> but I'm like, Lord... If I can, if you can use me right now, if I can stay in a sweet spot and you want to take me out in the next year or two and I can go to glory while I'm kind of in a sweet spot, I'm cool with that. You know, I'd rather, I don't know about you, but I'd rather kind of go in that sweet spot than some of my brothers that you read about in the Old Testament. It's all underneath the Lord's grace, but Jehoshaphat loved the guy. But he ends with this disastrous shipping venture that he shouldn't have been involved in. And then he dies, right? And the Lord's gracious on him. I'm like, Lord, protect me from the disastrous shipping investments <laughs> that uh, Jehoshaphat got. In. Yeah, Steve. Yes. 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 Yeah. Totally. <clears throat> That's awesome. Yeah. So the we're, even with our joys, we're not taking too much joy in the things of this world. That's that's part of what Paul has some really strange statements like in first Corinthians seven, I think it is where he says those who have a wife should behave as if they don't have a wife. What in the world does he mean by that? I think part of what he's saying in that context is, is yes, we love our wives and, and they love us. We really enjoy those family relationships, but we're not enjoying them in such a way as if it's ultimate, right? It's still a temporal thing. And so we don't, try to enjoy it in an ultimate sense that we're trying to derive all of our satisfaction from those relationships, but we're going somewhere together. We're spurring each other on <clears throat> together. I think we might need to end there. We may, I think we may come back and just pick this up next week. Um, we'll talk about the facing pers- There's several verses I would like us to, to cover. And then there's the whole Stephen section that I think is valuable. <clears throat> Let me just see if there's um, 
Let me just end with this. You guys can think about this as you head out. Just how has your understanding of persecution changed as a result of looking at these passages? <clears throat> Consider persecution of the early church, also the 20th century. In the early church, you have 10 major persecution sections, starting with Diocletian, and it goes to, I forget the final guy. There are some pretty crazy things that happen. <clears throat> but each persecution, the church got stronger. Um, a lot of times we'll talk today as if there's not persecution going on. But historically, the the most blood has been spilt in the 20th century of all the centuries. Um, uh, there's The church has just got hammered in the 20th century. And up to this day, right now, China is just going crazy. It's the persecution there. <clears throat> Next week, I, I could spend more details, talk about Morris Bashir. He's a missionary in Pakistan who uh, Steve and I, we got to Skype with him. Um, he's basically, he's connected to the Philippines in the sense that he got part of his training there, went back to his home country in Pakistan, where um, like as a child, he was beat up by his teachers continuously because his dad was a Christian. Then he ran away from home, came to know Christ, came back, and now he's preaching the gospel. His brother-in-law was shot trying to just do some schooling for kids and but kept the, he felt like the Lord kept wanting him to go back into this village. Finally, the media got a hold of this situation, and he's now a national hero that nobody will touch now because he's doing all this work with these untouchable kids that nobody else wants to help. And so here the Lord has totally turned his persecution against his persecutors, and now he's like this Pakistani hero. And so the Lord's doing things like that. I sent you guys a little note. I'm not sure if you had time to read it on Promise Vaughn's, one of her um, workers, Anton, how they lost their adopted son, but kind of like what led, how the Lord has been using that in his life and some of the persecution going on there. <clears throat> anyway, let's just be praying for each other. We're, you know, I think a lot of people have been saying that it, it, it feels like perhaps we're moving into an era of greater persecution in the U.S. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but we can be praying for each other. We can pray for the Lord to give us boldness. Would you guys make a note to pray for me that the Lord would open up my mouth to preach the gospel, that the Lord would continue to grant me boldness? Um, I, there are so many opportunities that I, I, I run into and I, I, I get to engage people. And uh, <clears throat> there are times where I do take advantage and there's other times where it's like, oh, man, I, I missed that one. I really wish I had taken advantage of that. I think for me, I've been, I've been more, I've been, there's, in my head, I have this idea, um, I, like I love one-on-one -on -one evangelism. I think that there's something about friendship evangelism that has, the Lord's really using it in our culture. <clears throat> but there's a part of me that feels like I want to do more preaching to the unbelievers and unbelieving audience. And so if you guys would pray for me, I've been shopping for a stool um, that I can get some elevation that I could carry in my backpack. <clears throat> and I've been shopping for a couple items um, and, and watching some videos there's some people, some open air preachers. I really like the way they do it. There's other ones I'm not excited as excited about. But if would you guys pray for me on that? I really feel like I need, I want to do more of that. I, I do it periodically, but I feel like that needs to be more of my regular schedule. 
to get out and find venues to do some open air preaching <clears throat> to just complete unbelieving audiences. Um, so if, would you guys pray for me on that? And then if we're out lunch somewhere, you can double dog dare me. And what am I going to do? Right. I'll have to give in to the dare. My son, uh, my son, Samuel lately, he's been the one. I'll end with this. <clears throat> Did anybody go out and see the supermoon this week? There was a supermoon that was just crazy. My wife told me about it before we went to bed. Then I like my eyes popped open at three in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I was like, I'm going to go in the backyard and look at the supermoon. I go in the backyard. It is like lit up like the sun. So I get this crazy idea. Let me, let's wake up Anna and Sam. We'll go on a supermoon hike. I've done backpacking in the past out with a moon like that. So I try to wake Anna up. She's like, uh. so I go into Sam's room. I'll, Hey Sam, you want to go get some McDonald's? Bang. He comes up. So we get up, we go to McDonald's, but it's closed. We end up at IHOP at like four in the morning. Like, well, we got a little more time before we head out. And uh, so we're paying for our breakfast. Sam's all, give him a track. I'm all, huh? You got to give him a track. I'm all, oh, good idea, buddy. <clears throat> so we give the um, the guy who'd been helping us a, a track. We get to talk to him a little bit. He's very interested. We got to talk to him for a while. And um, and so we got we got to give out a couple tracks at four in the morning before we went out to the supermoon. Then we go out. We hike up to the top of Sam's Hill, we call it. And we got to see the supermoon and then uh, the sunrise. And then my son got the sniffles and had to stay home from Iwana Wednesday night. So, but we got to give out some tracks. So anyway, so Lord is using him to double dog dare me. All right, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll move along. Lord, thank you so much for just the encouragement from your word and just looking at Peter and John. Um, to see Peter's uh, shame and then it to be turned around by the filling of your spirit into boldness. What a great encouragement. Help us, Lord. We don't have to speak a perfect message. We don't have to feel like we need to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We just need to give them the gospel, and there's lots of different ways to do that, so help us to be creative. We pray, Father, that... We would just uh, that you would grant us boldness, that you would fill us with your spirit, uh, because our our true joy really is in the next life. And there are people all around us that you have elected from all eternity to salvation, and you're calling upon us to go out and find them. And uh, so we just pray, Father, that you would just give us that joy to go out and participate in sharing the gospel. Um, help us to pr and pray for one another this week. Encourage one another. I know that my brothers and sisters here are all in various venues, um, rubbing shoulders with people that no one, nobody else could really develop those kind of relationships instead, instead of them. So we pray, Father, that you would use them uh, in the lives of the people that you put them into contact with. And we thank you, Lord, that these are prayers that you do want to answer when we ask for boldness, we ask for you to save, um, that you're in the business of saving the lost. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.